How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, even faints. And there is no other place I'd rather be besides heaven itself than being with you and worshiping the Lord. It's a great joy to hear your voices singing to the Lord, your hearts eager to worship Him. And may the Lord be kind towards us right now. Would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As we have been walking through this beautiful letter, we are coming towards the end of this epistle. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. But actually we're going to be reading starting verse 10. Would you please stand for the reading? Here's the word of the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived or blossomed again your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before You once again because we know, we know our, our inability apart from You. We know our dependence on You. So we ask You to help us. Pray that Your Holy Spirit would be working in us, through us. Spirit of the living God, I pray it would be causing Your Word to be alive in us. Help me to be faithful. Help the congregation to be faithful. We are all needy of your empowerment. We pray your blessing upon other churches here in Salem. We pray that your sheep would be fed by the Supreme Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Pray that your church would be built up here in this area. And we pray also for our brothers and sisters all over the world. Churches in Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Mozambique, Afghanistan, North Korea, China, in Europe, Canada, 
South America. Bless your people, Lord. Our brothers and sisters, help us. Help us to remember them. Those who are in prison as if we were in prison with them. Lord, we pray for the members of this church, those who are traveling. We pray your protection over them. Pray that their hearts would be rejoicing in you today. So be gracious to us, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the privileges and wonders of expository preaching, and what is expository preaching? What we do here, we get a book of the Bible and we walk chapter by chapter, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. And one of the beautiful privileges of expository preaching is that we are fully exposed to God's Word. What is expository preaching? But being exposed to the full counsel of God. We can't run away. We get a book of the Bible and the verses are there and you must walk through those verses, those chapters and be exposed to God's Word. And truly, it brings an exposure, a vulnerability on our part as we sit under the Word of God. Amen? We are never above the Word. We are always under the Word of God and the Word of God is always exposing our need for Christ. And as we have been walking through Philippians, we have been exposed to a variety of very, very important subjects in the Christian life. So, for example, we have been exposed to God's truth about church unity, prayer, joy, selfishness, the arduous, arduous battle of the Christian life. We have been seeing, Philippians, that the Christian life is compared to an army striving side by side. We have learned in Philippians about what is a true Christian testimony. What a Christian testimony must look like. We have learned about Christian affections, anxiety, peace, suffering, persecution, the importance of having examples in our lives, people whom we imitate, contentment, and many other subjects that we have been exposed to as we have been walking through Philippians. Amen? And as we continue our journey today through the book of Philippians, we come to one of those areas where the Lord wants us to be exposed to His Word. And it's an area that can be very awkward for some, but very encouraging for others. And that's the area of giving. The Lord is speaking to us as we come to this beautiful portion this Sunday, next Lord's Day, about giving and receiving in the kingdom of God. And I believe we all here, we all have space to grow in the area of giving. Amen? Paul tells us we must, we must excel. And that's why I pray that will take place. We will excel in learning what's true fellowship, what is true partnership in the gospel. 
So may the Lord be gracious to us. And it's important because money is a necessity. We cannot live without money. In God's wisdom, in His providence, that's how He orchestrated life. So we all here, we are either, we all have contact with money. Amen? Everyone here has contact with money. So we are either being good stewards, faithful stewards, or we are being evil and bad stewards of God's money. So that affects all of us. And as we come to Philippians, that, that just remind you the context, it's important. You remember that Paul is in prison. And please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we know that Paul is in prison because of his faithfulness to the gospel. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. So he has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my chains, my imprisonment is what? For Christ. So he's in prison. He's in chains because of the gospel. And we know that Paul and the Philippians, they have a partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 3, chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is in prison because of the gospel. The Philippians and Paul, they have a partnership, a fellowship in the gospel. Therefore, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to go and help Paul. So that's what we see in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 and verse 25. Paul says, I had thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So because they have a partnership in the gospel, Paul is suffering because of the gospel. Now the Philippians are sending Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift. And that's what this portion, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20, that's what Paul is dealing with, this gift that he received. And Paul is teaching them how giving and receiving works in the kingdom. Because if you remember, according to the Roman society, giving and receiving was very different from the biblical perspective. There were strings attached. If I give Abby, if I give Abby a gift, a monetary gift, and she accepts, there are strings attached to that. And that's what Paul is using now, this portion, to teach them about giving and receiving in light of Christ, in light of the gospel. And Paul is teaching them that the most important thing when it comes to giving and receiving is what? Contentment. Contentment transforms your giving and your receiving. If you are fully satisfied in Christ, if you are fully content with Christ, that will affect how you give. You will spend less with stuff, things trying to satisfy you. Amen? And contentment will also affect your receiving. So when you don't get what you want, you will rejoice in the Lord no matter what. 
So that's what Paul is doing here. The, great, the greatest lesson in giving and receiving is contentment. And now the following verses, Paul is going to show, here's verses 14 through 20, Paul is going to show that, all right, contentment is vital. Remember verse 13, I can overcome all such situations in the power of Him who empowers me. The temptation is, all right, if contentment is the most important thing, so I don't need to give. You need to learn to be content without my giving. And Paul goes here and he shows how, yes, contentment is the foundation, but this contentment does not erase, does not annul your holy duty in giving. That's what Paul is doing here, these next verses. Yes, contentment is vital. But we are in a partnership, and this partnership requires giving and receiving. Amen? But that's what Paul is doing, and that's what I hope to show you. Here's the outline. We're going to be looking at the marks of a faithful Christian fellowship, or a faithful Christian partnership. Those are the same words in Greek for fellowship and partnership. So we're going to see, first of all, there is mutual appreciation, mutual sacrifice, Mutual consistency and mutual concern towards each other. Okay? So let's go to verse 14, the first part of verse 14. Look at verse 13. Remember Paul just said, I learned, I learned the art of being content. And I can all the situations abounding with wealth, being poverty, being starving or being stuffed, I overcome the temptation to be discontent in all the situations in Him who empowers me. So do you expect Paul just to end the letter and be like, alright, okay, he learned to be content, that's enough. But look at verse 14. Nevertheless, I know I learned to be content, yet, the ESV says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. The word for kind there, kalos, in Greek, was used for matching a, standard, a high standard of excellency. That's the same word that's used for Jesus as the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd. He matches the standard of God to be the excellent shepherd. And that's what Paul is saying. That was beautiful was excellent, was glorious of you to share in my trouble. So Paul, we see Paul showing his appreciation through words. The Philippians showed their appreciation through actions, and now Paul shows his appreciation not only through words, but through actions by writing a letter, by pastoring them. So in every faithful partnership, in every Christ-centered fellowship, there must be mutual appreciation. What happens in a marriage when you have just one member of that partnership showing appreciation? Things don't go very well. So it's required mutual appreciation. It's beautiful. The Philippines think it's beautiful what Paul is doing. 
They express that by sending Epaphroditus. Paul expressed his appreciation by thanking them, writing a letter. So may we all here show appreciation for one another as we are in a partnership in the gospel. Amen? Do you believe you can grow in the art of showing appreciation to one another? Amen. Second, Paul says, Yet it was kind of you, and here's why it was beautiful, to share in my trouble. That's the ESV. The American Standard Version says, To fellowship with my affliction. And here's a very important word. Sum koinonia. Koinonia is the word that we have for, it's used very frequently, for partnership, fellowship, and it's a key word throughout the letter to the Philippians. So, let me just show you really quickly. Look at chapter 1. Open your Bibles there. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Because of your partnership, your fellowship, that's the word. Now look at verse 7. It's right for me to have this phronel, this pattern of thinking and feeling towards you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all what? Partakers. That's the koinonia word. In partnership, fellowship, partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Since there, or, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any what? participation, koinonia, any fellowship, partnership in the Spirit and affection and sympathy. And then he goes on. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 10. Paul's testimony. And he finished, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may what? Share, that's the same koinonia word. Share, fellowship, partnership in His sufferings. Now chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, he repeats the word. So you see the koinonia, fellowship, partnership, it's a, it's a key word throughout Philippians. And I think that's the, the major theme. It's because Paul and the Philippians, they are in a partnership, in a fellowship, that all the other themes come under. This letter. It's because of their partnership in the gospel. If I was to ask you, what is fellowship? What is partnership? Most people would say partnership should not be applied to the church lingo because that's a business language. Let's not talk about partnership because that's worldly language. When you talk about fellowship, koinonia, that's how some people see. Other people see fellowship as just a, a nice time to get together. So some churches, they have the fellowship hall or the fellowship room. And what is that? But a place where you go and you can get a, some juice or a coffee, some cookies and just have fellowship. So that's how some people see fellowship. It's just... 
spending time with each other, having coffee or tea or whatever together, just relaxing and enjoying each other. That's how most people see fellowship. Others more godly, they're going to say, no, we practice fellowship because when we get together, we talk about the institutes of John Calvin. When we get together, we study the Scriptures. That's fellowship. We start seeing that there is a misunderstanding of what fellowship truly means, partnership in the gospel. Here is the word koinonia, often translated as fellowship. It speaks of sharing something in common. That's koinos, where you have the Greek koinos. That was different from the classical Greek language. So when you're studying Greek, biblical Greek, you know that that's the koinos, the common Greek. And that's from the word koinonia you have, the sharing of something common between the two parties. Sharing in and sharing out. So, for example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, the same word is used for Peter, James, and John, and they have a partnership in the fishing company, their fishing business. So they have a fellowship, they have a partnership in the fishing business. That's the same word. The same word, koinonia, is used for generosity, for giving financially. That's how we see. And one very interesting passage is Galatians 6.6. 6. Paul says, One who is taught the word must share fellowship. All good things with the one who teaches. Hallelujah. Amen. In every, you see, oh man, that's the text that people don't want. Ah, we want the other fellowship, not this fellowship here. Can you imagine having a room? <laughs> the fellowship room. <laughs> you have that passage there. Okay, so you see how this word is used for sharing, giving financially. It's a partnership. You're receiving spiritually. You better be giving back. So that's how the word is used. In the first century, koinonia used to speak of an association that was so intimate and sacrificial. One Greek lexicon says there was a favorite expression for the marital relationship, for marriage, as the most intimate between human beings. And for most people, especially in America, fellowship is basically a time of fun, relaxation. Fred Craddock, he says in his commentary, for the church today to announce a meeting for the purpose of fellowship is in essence to promise all attending that there will be no serious business, no worship, no work, no sacrifice. That's how most people see fellowship. As long as it's not costing anything, that's a wonderful fellowship. The biblical concept of fellowship is very different. It requires sacrificial giving from all parties. So, I would define biblical fellowship, biblical koinonia, as a costly, costly financial, emotional, and spiritual association and partnership required from all those involved. So, it's a costly, financial, spiritual, emotional, physical association of all those involved in this partnership, in this fellowship. And we see that by how Paul continues here. It was kind of you to fellowship, to partnership with my troubles, with my afflictions. 
What are those afflictions? What, are, what, what is the trouble that Paul is going through? He told us earlier. The affliction, the trouble is that he's in chains. He's in prison. And we can see that's even broader. It's the affliction, the pain. It's broader. It's all that Paul is going through. In chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says that there are preachers in town preaching in order to do what? To afflict him. The same Greek word. In order to afflict him. To cause more trouble upon him. So you see this beautiful contrast between those who are teaching in order to bring more trouble, more affliction upon Paul, and the Philippians, they're actually taking the burden from Paul and sharing that burden with him. Here, Paul, you're carrying too much of this trouble. Give some to us. That's what they're doing. They saw their lives, the Philippians and Paul, they saw their lives so tightly woven together in Christ that Paul's afflictions is their affliction too. We cannot see Paul suffering and do nothing about that. We are in a partnership. Their lives are stitched together with the cords of love in a partnership in the Gospel that they see their, as their duty to support Paul. And how are they sharing that? What is the partnership? The Philippians are sending a gift. They are sacrificing their money to help Paul. So as they are sacrificing some of their finances, they are bringing some of Paul's trouble upon them and giving some of their relief to Paul. That's the partnership we have here. So it's a costly fellowship. And it's not just money that they're giving. Think about that society where honor and shame was so vital in Roman culture. Honor, shame. So you think about the Philippians now associating themselves with this Roman prisoner. So it's costly financially. It's costly socially. All these people now sending their money to this Roman prisoner. And it's costly because they send one of their best men in the church, Epaphroditus, to travel. And you remember that he almost died. He got sick on the way there. It's a costly partnership. The money was just a sign of their internal association with Paul. And I think it's important for us, especially when it comes to missions. We always want the easiest way to support missionaries. What is the easiest way to support the missionaries? What is the easiest way that's not going to bring trouble upon us? Isn't that true? What is the organization that can just send a check and that, I, I'm, that's good. I send a check, that's good. As long as it doesn't cost me more than the check I'm writing, that's good. And we are very tempted to fall into this. What is the, the easiest way, the less painful way to support a missionary? That's going to cause less trouble to the church. And then we're going to call that a fellowship, a partnership? When you want the easiest way to not cost us anything? We have Philippi in Guinea-Bissau, Africa. 
I'm always in contact with him, and he called me last week. He has a house, and he hosts other people who come to their home, and they need to change the... I know that because when you were there, that's one of the things I heard the most, is when you have the rain season, is the lack of... Okay, that place is already without electricity. It's one of the darkest places. Very little power. And they say when you have the rain season, then forget about rain. So he's trying to change his home, put some solar panels to help with electricity, change things. So he asked us if we could help him. He needs 15, about $1,500. We talked to the, the elders. We talked together. We think it's a good thing for the church. How are we going to do that? Are we going to find the easiest way or a way that's going to be costly for us to help them? That's important for us to think about. And the missionaries you support, are you involved with their lives or you just send a check to the mission organization? You see, partnership must require this, not only the sharing of the wallet, but the sharing of life, affliction. So if our support is not costing us anything but the check, then we need to reevaluate because that's not true biblical partnership and fellowship. Also, as we look at the church, usually there are four types of people in a church. You have those who are fully committed, they give themselves fully. You see that the partnership, the fellowship is fully there is the sharing of the wallet, the sharing of the heart, the sharing of the affection, the sharing of the home. Everything they want to share. There are others who don't want to give anything. Not financially, not time, not emotions, not affections. Just receiving. And there are two other groups. And I think that's important this passage here that touches these two other groups. One group is the group that, hey, I write a check every month, and that's plenty. I write a generous check to this church, and that's plenty. I don't want to get involved with people's lives. I come, write the check, and that's it. Is that true biblical partnership, faithful fellowship? When we are not caring for one another, not opening our hearts, our homes, our affections to receive and share. And then you have the other group. They're always willing to be involved with people. Oh, they are involved with everything in the church, but they're unwilling. to open their wallets. Oh, I already give. I already give my time. I already help the church. I don't need to give money. So, this text addresses both groups. No, no, no. You need to put together. True fellowship, biblical partnership, requires the opening of our wallets, our affections, Amen? Our lives. 
We welcome one another into our hearts. We welcome this church into our lives, hearts, homes, and even bank account. <laughs> That's too much. Christ does not ask for part of you. It's the whole of you. True Christ-centered fellowship demands the sharing of affection, afflictions, and affluence. When somebody's suffering in this church, are you getting involved to know what's going on, how you can help? The sharing of the afflictions. I want to share. I want to... I want to give what I can so I can receive some of your pain and alleviate that. That's partnership. But not only mutual sacrifice and mutual appreciation, but also mutual consistency. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians. That's beautiful because that's from where we get the title Philippians. Philippenses in Latin. That's how they were called. In two other letters, Paul uses this, this type of language. He used this language with the Galatians. Oh, you Galatians, foolish ones. Oh, you Corinthians. And his heart is broken. But now it's the Philippians when he says, Oh, you Philippians. His heart is overwhelmed with joy. Very different from the Corinthians and the Galatians. Oh, you Philippians. You yourselves know and I know. Look at that. How Paul does what he commands. Look at his memory. More than ten years without receiving anything from the Philippians. And his memory is a lovely memory. You know, I know how faithful you have been since the beginning. Ten years without receiving any support from the Philippians. And he's not cultivating bitter thoughts. He actually reminds them of how faithful they were. That's beautiful. Some people are very quick to forget the good and the hard sacrifice that others performed for them in the past. How quick they are to forget the hard sacrifice that people perform for them. Not Paul. He knows their character has been proved. And even after a decade, he still has good memories, lovely memories, honorable thoughts towards the Philippians. May we cultivate this type of thinking towards one another. So he says, and you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel, look at that, in the beginning of the gospel, and that matches with chapter 1. You remember writing the introduction of verses 10 through 20, I showed you how this last section here matches with the introduction of the letter. In the beginning of the gospel matches with chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul talks about the first day. The first day when the gospel came to Philippi is the beginning of the gospel. And how since the first day, since the beginning of the gospel in Philippi, they were already giving themselves, giving everything that they had to the proclamation of the gospel. 
Acts chapter 16. The Gospel comes to Macedonia and Paul and Silas and Timothy. They are in Philippi. And remember, the Lord opens the heart of Lydia. And what happens once the Gospel of Jesus opens her heart? She opens her home. Oh, Paul, no, no, no. If you think I'm faithful, a faithful disciple, you better come and have fellowship in my home. I want to provide for you. So from the first moment that the Gospel comes, they're already giving, opening themselves. How about the jailer? Remember the jailer. What is the first thing that he does once he's converted? He brings Paul and Silas to his home. Fellowship. And that's costly. For a Roman soldier to entertain a prisoner, that's like death penalty. For him to bring Paul and Silas who were in chains to his home and now feed them, clean them, treat their wounds. What sacrifice is that? But of one man who is willing to die for the gospel. So Paul tells us, and once he left Philippi, they kept giving to Paul. He says in the beginning of the gospel. That's when, that's when the, the beginning of the gospel takes place when the gospel comes, invades your life in such a way they are no longer the same. You're no longer the same. That's the beginning of the gospel. You need to share. You need to give. Remember I told you before, communism is what's yours is mine. The gospel is what's mine is yours now. That's what the gospel does. And that's all we see taking place here. Let me remind you that the Philippians were babies in the faith. From the beginning, they are giving generally, sacrificially, joyfully. And then you have people in the church that have been in church for years. And they cannot do that. And here is a baby church already. Excelling this art of giving, receiving. Receiving the gospel, giving what they can. And Paul says, when they left Macedonia. So please open your Bibles to Acts. Turn with me to Acts so you can see what's taking place here. Acts 16 is when the gospel comes to Philippi. And then you can see. In verse 40 of chapter 16, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So they depart from there and they go to Thessalonica. It's still in Macedonia. So they leave Philippi, they go to Thessalonica. And then from Thessalonica they go to Berea. Those are the major places. And then Athens, and then Corinth, in Greece. That's what's taking place here. Paul is leaving Philippi, 
He goes to Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. Now look how it says. Luke says in chapter 18 of Acts. Now let me just, because Paul says here that only the Philippians were in this partnership of giving and receiving. And I'm sure that Paul is referring to this season when he left Philippi. He's saying, not even the church in Antioch was able to support me. Only you were supporting me during this time when I left Philippi and went to Corinth. And in Acts 18, we read, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Acla, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Listen to this. When Silas and Timothy arrived from where? Macedonia. That's Philippi. Remember that Timothy stayed in Philippi. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, and they arrived now with a gift, another gift from the Philippians. Paul was occupied with what? Tent making? Paul was occupied with what? The Word. It's a massive change. Now he has support, so he doesn't need to work anymore making tents, so he can be occupied with what? Studying the Scriptures. Preaching. Proclaiming. It's a beautiful transition. As the Philippians support him, he no longer needs to be doing the work of tent making, but now he can give himself fully to the preaching of the gospel. It's a partnership in the gospel that they have. So, they give to Paul financially, and they receive not only the fellowship of his sufferings, but also the fellowship of spreading the gospel. They are one now. As Paul is spreading the gospel, the Philippians are with him. It's beautiful. So he says, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Beautiful. Giving and receiving. Who is giving and who is receiving? Right? Who is giving and who is receiving? I like what Stephen Fowler says. He writes, their giving and Paul's receiving happens, happens in and through Christ. This subverts conventional notions about reciprocity and about the relative status of giver and receiver. Indeed, from a Christ-focused perspective, it's not always clear who is giver and who is receiver in the gospel. And I think it's beautiful how Paul highlights, except you only. And imagine, get a letter from the Apostle Paul proclaiming the gospel and he has this highlighted, except you only. What a privilege it is. And he says, even, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Literally says both once and twice, meaning you kept sending help to me. 
as soon as Paul left Philippi, went to Thessalonica, their partnership, their giving was quick and was consistent. Thessalonica was very close, about 100 miles from Philippi, so quickly they started giving and consistent. Again and again you gave me. That's what partnership requires, consistency. The Philippians were very aware of what true fellowship and partnership in the gospel requires. And that's why you see this consistency. And as we think about this beautiful text so far, we cannot but behold the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. This is sin makes us Stingy. Sin makes us self-centered. Sin makes us what? Selfish. The last thing sin does is to cause you to give sacrificially and joyfully and generously. No, sin is all about you keeping, not giving. So we see here the power of the gospel. Because think about Paul and the Philippians. Think about Paul before the gospel of Christ converted him. This man hated the Philippians. They saw the Philippians as dogs. He would never, he would never go into a partnership with the Philippians. Gentiles. And do you think the Philippians would go into a partnership with a Jew? But you see the power of the gospel. Here we see Jesus getting these two groups and uniting in Himself and opening wide open their hearts to each other. So now, they who once hated each other now are eager to share with each other everything that they have. That's the power of the gospel. Apart from Christ and the gospel, There's absolutely no true, faithful partnership where people are eager to give. And let me tell you, because we are bombarded with ideas that if we change the government, if we change the way we do government, people are going to be able to give more. It can bring equality. As if communism and socialism would suddenly make people less selfish. So there's absolutely no, no political ideology that can change people's hearts. There's no philosophy. There's no philosophy that can change people's hearts. And there's no system of education. That can change people's hearts. Public school, Christian school, home school, that doesn't change anybody's heart. Only the gospel of Christ has the power to change people's hearts and make people lovers, lovers of generous, sacrificial giving. Amen? So, here we behold the beautiful power of the gospel of Jesus. And I was thinking about the offering box. The offering box. Every week, every week, 
as you walk there and you place your sacrificial, joyful, generous, consistent giving, it's a beautiful, a beautiful demonstration of the power of the gospel in your life. We all should walk towards that box filled with joy, singing to the Lord. It's your grace from beginning to... Because if it was not His grace, I would never be walking towards that box and placing a great amount of my money towards that place. But it's the power of the gospel. Amen? So don't ever be embarrassed of writing and putting a check. Oh, people are going to see me giving. It's a beautiful testimony to see people placing their large part of their income for the spreading of the gospel in this local church. The power of the gospel in uniting us, people with very different backgrounds, people who had very different dreams and aspirations, now all united in the progress of the gospel. So that, that box, that small wooden box, it's a beautiful demonstration of the power of the gospel in your life. And we should walk towards that box singing and praising the Lord as you're placing your offering and being reminded of the power of the gospel in your life. Because I don't know about you, but me, before the gospel, I would keep everything for myself. So sing, give thanks, rejoice as you're placing your money in that box. It's a reflection of the power of Christ in you. Amen? And last, amen. Verse 17. Mutual concern. True fellowship, true partnership seeks the best of each other. So Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. You see, most worldly partnership is always a person wanting, hey, what is the benefit for me here? What am I gaining with this partnership? In the gospel is always, what is he gaining with this partnership? What are they gaining with this partnership in the gospel? So Paul opens his heart here and he shows that he's not seeking more money, more gifts. That's not what I'm seeking, Paul says. I'm seeking something else. And here we see Paul doing what he had told them to do. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And that's what we see Paul doing and the Philippians doing. Paul is looking... Not for more gifts for himself, but he's looking at their hearts, their spiritual growth. And the Philippians are not looking to their own interests, but to the interests of Paul. How can he keep proclaiming the gospel? How can the gospel keep moving forward? Both parties seeking the interest of each other. Not that I seek the gift, not that I'm seeking more money. But I seek the fruit that increases into your credit. Every faithful pastor, every faithful pastor, he's not seeking, he's not hunting 
an enlargement of the church budgets. But an enlargement of the flock's heart to become like Christ. Sacrificial like Christ. Generous like Christ. That's what every faithful pastor longs. No more money. But a larger heart that reflects Christ more and more. When the leaders of this church, the elders, we go through the finances and we see giving the members who are not giving, do you know what? That breaks our hearts. Those who are not giving consistently, sacrificially, joyfully, it breaks our hearts. Not because we need money. This church is pretty wealthy for this size of a church. But because we see idols in the heart. We see idols in the heart. Why are they not giving sacrificially, joyfully, consistently? When there is nobody here starving. That's what we see. Not that we need more money. We want more growth. It's heartbreaking to know that some members are not experiencing the joy of being like Christ in giving sacrificially, joyfully, consistently. That's what saddens us. Amen? The giving of your finances is a revelation of your spiritual condition and your commitment to this church's gospel's ministry. And that's Jesus Himself who said, for where your treasure is, there your, your heart will be also. Generous, sacrificial, financial giving is a thermometer that reveals your spiritual affection. Where your heart is, there is your treasure. Frank Thielman, he writes, he notes that our financial support of the church's mission is at least as important for our own spiritual development as for any good that it might do to those to whom we give. So Paul says, not that I seek the money. I'm not seeking the money. I don't need your money. I have learned to be content. But what I seek is the fruit of the Spirit. That's changing you to become sacrificial, to become generous, to become consistent in your giving. That's what I seek, Paul says. But to be honest, with all honesty, when he goes through the church finances here, the great majority of the members, the great majority of the members are people, are members who resemble the Philippians. There is great joy because we see the fruit that increases into our account. The great majority here are very, very sacrificial, generous, consistent in their giving. And that truly, truly Cause our hearts to rejoice. So many of you, from the first day 
From the first day here, you have been given. You entered into a partnership in the gospel. And it's visible. It's visible. And we praise the Lord for your generosity, your sacrifice, your consistency. We see hearts that are truly, truly in partnership. People who are now propelled by the grace of God to show their love and commitment by giving. For the size of our church, the budget that we have, it's indeed beautiful. It's beautiful, the generosity of this church. You know, Paul and I, we don't have many things in, in, in common. We don't share many things besides the love for Christ, the longing to preach the gospel. But if there's one thing I can share with Paul, is the partnership with a very generous local church. Same way that Paul had this partnership with the Philippians, we have this partnership in the gospel, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see the power of the gospel in your lives transforming you. Most of you had dreams before. You had money. You're saving and making for other things. And once the Lord brought us into a partnership, it has been visible. Your opening of your heart, your wallets, your homes. And I make Paul's words my words. It's beautiful. Not kind, it was beautiful of you to any partnership. There is mutual here. I see mutual appreciation. Mutual appreciation. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for your love, for your commitment, your sacrifice. Many of you I know, you love, you love giving sacrificially. There is joy. Most of you, you receive money, some extra money. The first thing you guys do, I know that I'm going to give to the church. And that shows how this church is a colony of heaven on earth. Because our society is all about being selfish, keeping for yourself. And I see you as citizens of heaven, longing to see the gospel going forward. I believe we all here have a space to grow. Amen? Those who have not been sacrificial in your giving, not been consistent, that's a beautiful day for you to repent. Break your partnership with Satan. Break your fellowship with yourself. Show your adoption into a God who loves to give sacrificially. Your union with the one who is the emblem of being sacrificial and generous with Christ Jesus. Today's the day. Run to Christ. There is no better life than the life of the union with Christ.
And I pray, I pray that the Lord will guard us. I pray that the Lord will continue working in us, delivering us from greed, protecting us from selfishness, empowering us to grow more and more to be the church that we are, very sacrificial in giving, mutual appreciation, mutual sacrifice, mutual consistency, and mutual concern for each other. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your great love towards us. If we can enter into a partnership in the Gospel, it's all because of Your grace. We all here remember the days when we were in partnership with the world, in fellowship with ourselves. And we praise You for the Gospel of Christ who destroyed that partnership and brought us into Your family. And we love this family business. That's to spread the Gospel to all the nations. To see people coming to Christ, bowing to Christ, loving Christ, serving Christ. Thank You for changing our hearts, Lord. And for those who are here who do not know this delight, this privilege, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would be opening their hearts just like You opened Lydia's heart. For the glory of Your name. Amen. Amen.